No, you ever see Swingers? I don't think so. It's movie. Yeah, uh, John Favreau and Vince Vaughn is like okay, their first no, flick. Like they're, they're they're actors in L.A. trying to like make it, and they go to this Hollywood party, and this dude walks up to John Favreau. He's like, "Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, good to see you, man. You going down to the comedy store tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be there, man. I'll see you there." And then Vince Vaughn looks, "Who is that?" No idea. It's a story of my life. That's like every family reunion. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I'm letting a lot of gold out. I don't know if we're recording right we are, now. We are recording. Yeah. I want to get this plug out of the way, though, real quick. Okay. Boys and girls, this pre-conversation and the next bit of this conversation will be brought to us by our good friends at the Original Music School of Morristown. They've been shaping young minds for over 15 years now. Fantastic teachers. Fantastic staff. Kids, if you want to learn ages six to six hundred, they take they take you all in, and you know the first lesson is free, just like a drug dealer. And uh, this podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, which is neat. But if you want to go to originalmusicschool.com for more information on the school, or go to 973-998-8977 and talk to Dylan, tell him you said hello. You're rubbing your hands like Mr. Burns. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Dylan? I'm good. I'm really tired today. We've been in, uh, working hard all week, and um, you know that's a good thing. Yeah, well, you know that's the grind, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess we can. Uh, I guess we should start the show now. Let's start the show. Let's start the show. Let's start the show. <laughs> edition of You Good, the podcast for and by musicians from New Jersey, because there wouldn't be a music scene in this country without New Jersey musicians. And our guest today is a friend of mine, a fantastic singer, songwriter, entertainer, voice actor, Mr. George Orlando. George, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm on my second drink, so I'm doing really good. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we try and treat our guests mm. well, you know. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Right on. Hey, you, you, Dylan, you good? Yeah. I'm a little tired. You, look, you do look a little sleepy. I'll make it. You'll I'll manage. It. You'll get. You'll. You'll be all right. So wait till I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, George, you haven't put me to sleep yet. So. All right. And I think we've talked probably six times now, at least. All right. So, yeah. Let's. Uh, well, let's well, George, um, where, uh, where'd you grow up? I don't remember. <laughs> Uh, well, interview. you know, <laughs> uh, New Jersey, born and raised. I uh, was born in Newark, but I grew up in Nutley. And, uh, you know, suburbs, white kid from the suburbs. My destiny was to play guitar. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's the breeding ground for young guitar players. And, yeah, so Nutley is is in Essex County. It's it's just 10 miles outside of New York City. And that's that's was where... I got started. Right on. How old were you when, uh, when you when you started playing? I was 14. Uh, I was a kid that quit everything. I mean, anything that my mom could sign me up for just to keep me busy. Uh, I tried and quit. There was karate in there. There was art classes. There was sports. Uh, I sucked at everything. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I think I was partially responsible for asking to try something new every other week. So. Uh, I remember asking for guitar lessons, and she must have, I remember her like rolling her eyes, like, here, it's another thing. But uh, 
But she had said, my mother had said that if, if I have to make you practice, we're not going to continue these lessons because she's not about to. She was like cleaning houses for the money to to get me these lessons. So uh, so she was like, I'm not about to waste this money. But it just, you know, sometimes you hit that thing that that was the thing that they didn't have to tell me to practice. I just was right. like, you know, fascinated by the guitar, locked in my room for hours, had to call me down for dinner several times because I wouldn't let the guitar go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's it just right. fell into my life. That's that's cool. Yeah, I was I was about fourteen the first time I picked up mm-hmm. uh, picked up an instrument. It was a bass guitar. Like I was, we were we were talking about this before we started recording, but uh, yeah, and I, I had done soccer and little league. I mm-hmm. liked I liked little league. I didn't like I didn't like the coaches. They're kind of jerks. But um, so I still love baseball. But I remember like when I was a little kid. You know, my because my brother and sister both played soccer. Like so, I got signed up for soccer, and it was like. Any excuse to get off the field and have orange slices mm-hmm. and a glass and a cup of water. I was like, I, I, I did not want to play. Yeah. Like, I just didn't understand. Why are we running so much? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 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 gonna the ball's gonna come back. Can I just stand here mm-hmm. and wait for it? Like, <laughs> why is everybody yelling at me like this is a life or death issue? Yeah, yeah. I'm nine. Get over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. It's, it kind of sounds 14, you know, both mm-hmm. of us 14. What about you, Dylan? When did you start? Uh, doing music? music? Yes. Um, I was eight. Okay. Yeah. So when I say 14 out loud, it kind of sounds old because I know a lot of people that I bump into, they started their instruments kind of young, you know, yeah. especially people that are like virtuosos. Yeah, I started like lessons at six and stuff like that. So to me, 14 sounds kind of old. But fortunately, the guitar, and I was just having this conversation, the guitar is kind of an informal instrument in that you can, with a little bit of knowledge, you can do a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. know, once you learn the basic chords, you can play a ton of Oh, yeah, once you got three chords, yeah. you're good. And I came <laughs> from, like, the early days of classic 80s metal. So everything was a power chord. So once you got power chords, next thing you know, the whole world of Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Venom, all those bands that were big in their 80s, like you could play their stuff. That's like, those are gods to a a 14-year-old white kid from the suburbs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? So like they're gods, and next thing you know, you're playing what they could play. So, you know, that's... That was uh, just a major thing. And so, like I said, with the guitar being kind of an informal instrument, yes, there are worlds of other things you could do beyond the basics. But when you get the basics now, what you can do with those basics, I mean, look at a band like Green Day. Is their music complicated? Is it involved? Is it virtuosic? No, it's not. But it's it's just got what it takes to get the, to get the job done, I guess. Yeah, I mean, right? like they're, you know, like, and in Green Day, like they definitely evolved over over the years mm-hmm. but it's still like most of their songs are three four chords you know the lyrics are good the yeah. story is good so you know that's been able to keep them you know there's the still, energy it's yeah. all it's all it's all about the energy and telling a good story yeah. and you know talent you know is really kind of a it's a it's a relative statement to say like you know this guy's talented this guy's this guy is not or whatever because you know what you can do with those three chords, how you can shape those chords and and bend those chords mm-hmm. to make it your thing. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's you know, totally. yeah. So, how old were you um, when you got your first gig, like like paid gig? Ooh, my first paid gig. Let me think about that for a yeah, second. Church basements don't count. <laughs> yeah. So, God, I have to walk myself through the progression because. I know. I mean, like anybody else, I got into a band after being able to play for a couple of years. That, of course, is all pro bono. Um, I volunteered at a church. So I think 
it's like most people in those early years where you're doing a lot of free stuff because you're just kind of finding your feet. But um, I'm pretty sure in my early 20s, actually, one of my earliest paid gigs was not on guitar. It was piano. Some One of my coworkers said, look, I know somebody that's having a Christmas party and they just want somebody to sit in the corner and just play Christmas songs in the background. You're just background music. And I knew enough of piano. I could play chords and maybe fake a melody here and there back then. And it was like $80 for three hours. You know, that's for a novice, that's okay. You know, that's not professional money, but it was money. So I think that was probably one. If it wasn't the first, it was definitely one of the first. Mm -hmm. And that gets you excited because you're like, oh, people want to pay me Mm -hmm. for what I do. So I remember that one. So you started guitar at 14. When did you start uh, messing with piano? Uh, Long before that, actually. Really? Um, My sister took piano lessons, and there was an upright piano in the house. And she just taught me patterns. I didn't know music. I don't think she knew music either. I don't think she studied very hard. But uh, but she taught me uh, heart and soul. That dun, 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 dun. So uh, yeah. So I learned the patterns and I learned to move the patterns and what you know what kind of works together. So throughout my teens, I guess I knew chords. On any time there wasn't you know too much too many opportunities for me to really play piano but anytime i was near one if i was at somebody's house or if there was a key like i said i was a church musician so there was always keyboards there mm. so i fooled around with it as much as i could and so i guess like any musician when you when you're coming in contact with an instrument that's not your primary instrument is you start thinking how can i take what i know from my primary instrument and make it somehow work on this so chords and things like that uh, but no formal training just basic stuff I've only recently started messing with piano, and uh, it's it's funny because I'm just watching how the shapes of these chords really, you know, it's, it is still a stringed instrument, you know. So it's you know it it you know instead of being like this, you're, you know, with your with your with your hand curled up like a crab claw mm-hmm. to make the shape of a chord, you're just out like that. So you know, I'm starting I'm starting to get some stuff. I'm no you know. I'm no genius. I'm no like savant. Just jump on, jump on the piano and oh, I got this. But I'm, I'm getting there, getting there. But, uh, it's fun to discover that stuff. Yeah, well, you know what you could you do. Know, it, the more, the more you play, the more you learn. Like you know, if, if you know, like I, I try and pick up, you know, I try and pick up my instrument every day. If mm-hmm. you know, I, I well, in fact, I do because I work almost every night. But mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but like on my days off, I'll try and you know. Get the energy to just say, all right. Let's if you, because if I don't play every day, even for like you know half an hour, you know, because if like you know I I'll, I'll, I'll say pick it up for fifteen minutes, and then fifteen minutes turn into a half an hour, and I look at the clock, and I can go into the ten minutes, and then that ten minutes turns into another hour. Mm-hmm. Like all right, now I feel like I've worked out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> My guitar teacher said when he was he was on a gig where he had to play bass. And, uh, and actually, I took lessons at Giovine's Music in Nutley. So it was just a local music store that was near the high school. So that's where I studied for a long time. I had the same teacher for many, many years. And uh, so he was on a professional gig where he had to play bass. And so he was telling me that he learned things about music by playing the bass that he hadn't really, really learned just on the guitar. And that always stumped me. I didn't understand that. Like, why would you not... Why would you? Why would these things suddenly become real on that other instrument? Mm. Well, that's because I I hadn't done it yet. And then over time, when I started to play other instruments like the keyboard, and like I said, I, I also wasn't great at it, but I you know could do a couple of things. And it was the same thing with bass. I played a little bass 
in my church when my bass player, the church bass player, couldn't be there. Drums, we had a situation where the drummer went away to college and they threw me on drums and I ended up being on the drums for years. I sucked at first, but you know, when you do something for years, hopefully you get a little good at it. Right. So, but yeah, but I also, like my guitar teacher, I learned certain things about music by, by, and I guess it's the approach. It's sort of like the perspective, you're, you're approaching music from a new perspective by being on a new instrument. And yeah, it opens your eyes to a lot of things. And I, I would encourage, you know, especially to people listening to this podcast, this is generally for musicians and or, or people that are uh, all about music, whatever, mm. whether you're musicians or not. But I mean, I would encourage everybody to really, really don't be afraid to dig into other instruments. Even if you think you stink, you never know where that could take you. I mean, one day you might find yourself on a get where they're like, we want to pay you to play a little bit of keyboards. Like I said, that thing where I did the Christmas show, mm. um, I'm sorry, the, the Christmas party at that house, you know, I was, like I said, just a, f a handful of chords and faking my way through, you know, Jingle Bells and, and just all those different songs. Yeah. And But yet I found myself getting paid to play the keyboard. So I really feel, I've always had the uh, the feeling like whatever instrument you're studying, whatever it is, you should play that and piano. Yeah, and the reason why I say that is because I feel like the keyboard, just visually, what the keyboard can do, the understanding of what it can do for you, I feel like it. It, like my guitar teacher said, it just sort of opens up a whole new world. And if you're a bass player and you kind of play a little bit of keyboards, I'd say go further into keyboards. Be Getty Lee, you know, go deeper into that world. Right. And you know, you just never know where it'll take you. Yeah, I wish. I wish I. I've, I've said. I've said this a lot over the years. Like I wish I'd. I wish piano had been my first instrument because mm. it would have really changed things. And we had we had a Wurlitzer upright piano in our house. Mm -hmm. I just never really paid it much attention. I just you know I'd walk I just would walk right past it to the record player yeah. and put on records and then just you know just bang on it just because it was loud and you know because I was a kid and I was a jerk I'd mm -hmm. just bang on the piano to like you know oh if I just smash on the piano keys real quick and I run upstairs my dad will wake up. <laughs> then we can watch PB's Playhouse. <laughs> Damn, that was really good. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm curious. So obviously you're an accomplished guitar player. Are there other instruments that you play? Mm. Yeah, I I started with saxophone, <laughs> and then I guess I did keyboard next. I didn't really didn't really study it, but I started messing around on it, and then in middle school. I took music class and they had us do piano there. So it, I kind of got it backwards, sort of. Like I learned, um, I learned all the notes and stuff on this saxophone. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really abstract. Like you, it, I mean, you're not actually seeing your hands play it while right, you do it. Right. Um, but then, yeah, when when the keyboard came around, it was like, oh, all these notes are here and they're they're same. It makes more this sense. Octave right? here, and then they're same as you, as you go up. The shapes down. are similar. Yeah. Yeah. And then then I did guitar and stuff from there. But yeah, so uh, learning how to read music first is really helpful, and then being able to see that was even more helpful. Yeah. I so, wish I would have done that. Learn music. Yeah, I totally learn to you read. Should, you should try as many things as you can. Because I I went to Montclair State University. For music, I was 31. I went for art originally and said, ah, I suck at this. Let me get yeah. out of here. Um, but I went into the music program, and you had two choices, jazz or classical. 
my teacher, along with all the rock and metal that I was studying, he slipped in some classical pieces. So I knew like three classical pieces. So I figured since I had a little bit of a background there and understood zero about jazz, jazz was a foreign language to me. So I chose classical. And the thing about that is now I'm 31. Now I have to learn. How, I'm an old dog in this situation, and I got to learn how to read. And the guys that were, you know, they're, they're college age, but those guys had been reading since they were, like we were saying before, six, seven, eight. Mm. So it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, basically, I, I did learn how to read. Sight reading was never my strength, where you put a piece of sheet music in front of me and I could just go. No. I kind of had to decode a little at a time. What's this shape? What are these notes? And you end up learning the piece and internalizing it. Yeah. So you could, re I mean, I could identify the notes on the page, but being really smooth and just sight reading, I just never really got to that place. And honestly, after graduation, I really thought that maybe I would go further into classical guitar. Maybe there'd be more of that world for me. It was not the case at all. Everything that I did after that was informal lead sheets or just here's here's a tape, here's an MP3, learn the song and come to rehearsal and play. Mm -hmm. So there was just less and less opportunities to read. I don't mean to discourage people like that's going to be your experience. Right. But just the kind of gigs that came my way didn't really reinforce the reading that I had to learn well, it's like, as an adult. It's, it's like the joke of uh, how do you get a guitar player, uh, how, do you, how do you get a piano player to stop playing music? You take the you take the sheet music away. How do you get a guitar player to stop playing music? You put sheet music in front of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's just uh, mm. <laughs> just staring at the shapes on the page. Like, wait, um, they think that's an F sharp minor. But <laughs> yeah, but, you know, if, if you are going to play gigs like that, nobody's going to take the time to write out a, a whole staff for you they'll just have the the bars and and the chords and right you know as long as you know how to count to four you're, mm -hmm. you're good right what kind of work do you want to do what kind of work do you think you're going to do mm. because uh, a colleague of mine he is a broadway drummer and one of the shows he did recently was uh, the book of mormon and uh. he was like if you want to come to the show uh and sit in the pit you know i can introduce you to a couple of people and i was like i so want to get in on that and I was, I was like, because look, I, I want to gig more, and I wanted, and I would love to be a Broadway musician. To get to, and he said, okay, how was your reading? And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> uh oh, because those guys, that's that's that world. That oh, world yeah, and is, it's, and it's so all regimented. To, right. Like you got, you you have to have your timing down to to the mm -hmm. turning of the page. Right you know? now, conversely. Uh, Times Square Church, which is this big, big mega church, obviously right in Times Square. Um, I knew the music director there for a little while. They put on a, a Christmas program, and for whatever reason, their guitar player wasn't available. I don't know what this situation was, but I got recommended. And I was asking for charts. Now, I wasn't asking for sheet music, right. because this wasn't, it wasn't that kind of music. It wasn't that specific. It was sort of like uh, holiday pop music, mm. whatever. So um, so I was asking for the charts. They didn't even have charts. And for those who don't understand what I'm talking about, that's kind of like, it's like a lyric sheet, and then you might have the chord names, G minor. Right. There might be a couple of notations that maybe talk about some of the rhythm hits and everything, but it's a lot basic, scaled-down version of what sheet music would be. And they didn't even have that. They kind of expected all the musicians to just listen to the song, get familiar with it, and then find your voice. In other words... We're not giving you guitar parts. You're the guitar player. Here's the song. We're going to trust you 
you're kind of on the line at that moment mm. to to show what's your instinct in finding a good place where you don't overplay or underplay. Th- so that's obviously a very different world from Broadway, where you are given the notes, you're given, you're told how to play the notes. So, th- th- I mean, that's just a, a little look into how diverse the world of music is. Oh, truly, you know, and and I would say. It's better to be able to read so that way that more former world isn't cut off to you. Because like I said, when my friend said, oh, you know, how's your reading? And I went, all right, that kind of leaves me out. Um, Because it would take me a long time to really focus on brushing up on that sight reading and getting myself up to speed before I'd even feel confident enough to say, hey, I'd like to offer my services as subs is where you start. Mm -hmm. You're just a sub. You're kind of on call for whenever. Um, But... You know, like I said, that's not where I was. And if it was something that I absolutely wanted to do, yeah, I'd have to make it a priority. I'd be, you know, in the woodshed every day, sight reading, and you know, even if it's boring because I want it, that's the goal. Truthfully, it's just not. It sounds cool to be on Broadway and everything, but I don't think my heart's that much in it. So. Well, it's I um I actually I have a friend of mine, this kid I did, <clears throat> he was a, he was a pit drummer for. Uh, the Rockaway Townsquare Playhouse when I was doing theater when mm-hmm. I was younger. This kid, Charlie Zelaney, and uh, he's played, he was, uh, I think he was, he did Hairspray on Broadway. Mm. He's done, he's done a few really cool shows and he's been on Good Morning America and he was in like, you know, Macy's Day Parade because, you know, the pit orchestra comes out and does the thing or whatever. But he was so freaking good and, but every day it was all about the regiment of this job and like he wanted to get to that level mm-hmm. you know and then like and I look at how I learned how to play with other musicians and you know my you know going playing gigs with my father or you know and are doing open mics and just you know like my dad be like this third bass coach just like screaming the chord changes at me <laughs> just you know ding 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 A D E, A, and like you know, and like all right, you got the hook. I got it now. Okay, cool. And then just off to the races, and you know, if I, you know, I just give him a weird look. Oh, you're lost, B minor. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> here's the bridge. We're in B minor now. Like you know, like mm-hmm. that. That's you know, and it, like that's kind of how I learned. You're making me think of uh, those early church days. Like I said, I was a uh, guitar player at a church. I was a volunteer in those days, and the music. Over time, I started to work with churches that had more advanced sound systems. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, the MD, the music director, had a mic that just went into all of our in-ears, which meant that he could communicate with us and nobody else would hear it. Oh. But that was that was more recently. But back in like the 80s and 90s, when that wasn't a thing, especially for smaller churches, yeah, I remember our music director like doing that sometimes if he was... Uh, maybe the pastor said, I want to hear whatever, and only he knew it, none of us did, so he'd just have to start playing it, and he'd go, hey, flat! <laughs> and he, I think he yelled louder than the whole band actually was. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you, you mentioned, uh, like, a lot of heavy metal, uh, you know, in, in your growing up, and, mm-hmm. like, I guess, you know, I'm sure that was an influence on you as a... You know, as a guitar player, because those riffs were so, those riffs were really fucking cool. You, know, yeah. you look, you know, you look back to, you know, Metallica's first first three albums, and like, you know, those those riffs are just implanted in my brain. Yeah, like, you know, that's my education forget. right there. Yeah, you know, the, the fun fact about Metallica. Did you know um, the first gig that Metallica had with Kurt Hammett right out here in Jersey was in Dover. Dover. At what the, was the club? The Showplace. It's a strip club. 
It's a strip club it now? It still is. Because I, when it's I learned always been that, a strip club. When I learned that as well, and I said, right here in Dover, like I wanted to go down there and see. I imagined that it was probably different in one way or another, but I, I didn't really know what I was looking for. So I, I didn't. I've never been in there. I'm, pr- I'm uh, But, you know, it's a strip club. It's always been a strip club. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing the only thing that's changed is maybe the carpet. Right. Okay. <laughs> but there's, a, and there's apparently like a, mul- like a million dollar recording studio in the back of that ah. place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's there's a Cliff Burton vomit stain that's still in there. I'm just probably, <laughs> you know, probably. <laughs> but um, as a as as a songwriter now, who do you look at like as far as like like people like you know like singer songwriters that have been influential on on your writing process? Um, you know, more than anything, I think um, the two two that come to mind are Pink Floyd. And I'll throw in there Roger Waters solo stuff, David Gilmore solo stuff. Hey. Bye, Connor. <laughs> Connor. <laughs> He's got to go home and watch South Park. Yeah. And it's always sunny. That's his Wednesday ritual. Good. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so Pink Floyd, uh, heavy, heavy influence. Even though, I mean, like I said, the, the metal stuff was the beginning of my music education. I was a metal fanatic, in it, but... When I when I discovered Pink Floyd, see, metal music kind of has one color. Unfortunately, it's not quite that diverse. At least the music that I listen to. I mean, there's there's more than what I listen to. But those those bands, basic bands, the Anthrax, and you know, I loved King Diamond, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But there was there were certain boundaries that, in order to be metal, they stayed within. Um, when I I guess when I was about seventeen or so, my friend turned me on to The Wall by Pink Floyd. At which I'd never at that, and this was let me see, I was a senior in high school. It was like 1989, so the wall had already been out for almost 10 years. And um, but he turned me onto the wall, and so now classic rock became like a new whole world to me, where I now I discovered a whole new palette of colors of of music. And Pink Floyd, I don't know, it just it was art rock. I loved the weird concept albums, you know, that was all mm. new to me and stuff. And so um, so Pink Floyd was a huge influence of mine, and also Sting. Um, which that kind of came later, uh, but like sort of later on in the 90s, um, I, I already knew about the police, but I started to study a lot of Sting's uh, solo stuff. And obviously he's an intelligent, he's a good writer. Oh, yeah. Um, his lyrics were very interesting to me. He, um, being that he was so educated in music, I mean, he, he mixed with a lot of jazz musicians and, and classical musicians. He's very diverse. So in his music, uh, I guess he likes to break a lot of barriers that pop would normally try to keep in right. place. And so it's interesting stuff. Um, I think maybe my writing in those days was heavily influenced by whoever I was like really fanatical about at that time. So if you look at things that I wrote, Back in the 90s, they're obviously sting influence. Stuff that I wrote maybe <laughs> a, a few years before that were obviously Pink Floyd ripoffs and things like that. Um, it really isn't until you get much, much older that you just go, fuck everybody. And then you just start putting whatever down, whether somebody likes it or not. You finally start to find your voice. It, everybody's journey is different. I think I was super impressionable for a long time. So it was hard for me to really be, to, to even know what it meant to be myself. So yeah. You talk about songwriting, uh, influenced probably more along the lines of really trying to be Sting, really trying to be Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, trying to be David Gilmore. Um, when I think about some songs that I wrote that nobody will ever hear because they're, 
I, I insist on not playing it for anybody. But they're embarrassing. They're just embarrassing ripoffs of what what were probably David Gilmore rejects from his own albums. Um, but yeah, so you know you, you're you, like the crazy person's on the lawn. <laughs> I changed the word. Good enough. It's different, man. It's totally different. Yeah. He never he never expressed what grass the lunatic was on. I'm saying he's on the, the crazy person's on my lawn. Right. Right. Totally different story. Totally story it's it's um i've always thought it's okay to you know try to well not imitate but you know if you try to do things that people you love do you can you can find your boundaries that way too Mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean learn how to you know work inside this this whole racket i mean you know everyone's you know everyone's influenced by somebody and you know that's just how this how how the stories keep getting told, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's that story that fact is the same throughout time. If you look at like traditional Irish folk music, you know, a lot of those songs sound exactly the same because they really are. But it's the fact that like you know, this 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 fella from Cork wrote this song, and then a fella from Kilkenny heard that song. And changed the words so it would make sense to people in Kilkenny, mm-hmm. and then it went from Kilkenny to Dublin, and then it changed in Dublin, and then it went, you know, went to Donegal and changed again. But it's like they're all really telling the same story of a horrible woman breaking their heart and sending them to jail, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or murdering them. But like, you know, but it's 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 just interesting because you know throughout time, that's just kind of how music has happened, you know, which we, you know, we hear what we like. And we emulate it. Yeah. We're not imitating. We're emulating, mm-hmm. or, or, or we're paying an homage to what we've heard in the past. Mm-hmm. You know? People always say oh, Elvis ripped off all these people. Did he? Because those guys probably ripped off the guy they heard that song from first too. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's just the way music evolves. You know, we all you know that's yeah. that's how art evolves. I, I don't think there's any real way to know for sure, like what what when we think something is so original. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no way to know for sure what that person had been thinking or what had influenced oh, That's my right. I got to go. There's, there's, uh, all right. <laughs> no, we'll we're done. We're done. We'll, we'll carry on. <laughs> you can't take the alcohol with It's one you. of my favorite things about recording here is all the background noise we get off the fucking street. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, George, if, if this has happened to you. Like, I've, I've been trying to cover a song just by listening to it and playing it, and I'll, I'll mess it up. And I'll be like, ooh, well, that's not what it was, but I like that. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with this, and you end up writing, uh, you end up writing your own song yeah. from messing up somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever done that? I, I don't know if I've done that. It, it, nothing's coming to mind right now because my mind is distracted by a video I just saw today. Billy Joel, another huge, huge. Oh my God. I think Billy Joel is probably the greatest influence out of anybody, even though I didn't think of him first. Because I started listening to Billy Joel when I was like 10 years old, and I'm still listening today. I'm, I'm 48. Mm. I just watched a video today. He was um, doing an interview. He was on stage in um, Germany. And so it was a Q&A type of thing. And so somebody asked him something like, how do you deal with um, the dynamics within the band, especially when somebody makes a mistake? And um, and he was he was cool the way he answered because he talks about how he makes mistakes all the time, and um, 
he quoted some classical composer. I cannot remember the name. It wasn't like an obvious one like Mozart or Beethoven or Bach. Yeah. So it was somebody that I never heard of. But, but he was quoting this other person saying that if you make a mistake, do it again. Mm. Uh, mistakes are like where the real originality of music comes from. So he was saying that like, you know, a, a typical example is like the Rolling Stones. If you listen to a lot of Rolling Stone stuff, Perfection is not something that is on there. They are not all about pro high oh, production. Yeah, it's, it's nowhere on the radar. And glossiness. I, I always really respected the fact that, uh, like, their backing vocals. Their backing vocals seem to be a mess. There seems to be no... <laughs> like, they didn't really organize when notes were going to end and stuff like that. But it's fucking beautiful. I don't know why. I guess because it's so real. And uh, so what Billy Joel was talking about was that a lot of times mistakes will birth, and this is what you were just talking about, mistakes will sometimes birth something completely new and original. Mm. And he was saying that really the only things out there that are original are the mistakes. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, it really just frees you up. Um, and I think he followed it up by saying a jazz music. It was actually a jazz musician that uh, and it was, he was talking in sort of like that cool jazz musician type of thing. But he said, whatever, whoever jazz musician he was referencing says that if you make a mistake... Do it again because then they think it was intentional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you play a weird note <laughs> at the end of a phrase that was an accident. Play that phrase again with the exact same note at the and end. And now it's jazz. Oh yeah. No, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, all of it, it's cool, man. <laughs> oh, no, it, well, I've, I've always considered the Rolling Stones to be the world's greatest bar band. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Really, like you know, they play, they they sell out arenas around the mm -hmm. world. You know, and but they're still playing these yeah. like. But the songs that they play are always these like honky tonk juke tunes, and and they wouldn't sound the same if they weren't mm -hmm. fucking up every once in a while. Yeah. And even and to Billy Joel's credit, I've seen him live, and I, I saw him live uh, just uh, just two two Octobers ago at the Garden, and he screwed up a few times. And like, or, in or, what way was it? A piano well, or a voice or piano? Um, got the words. Or forgot something? the words once and like leaned off the mic and went ah. <laughs> like, like our seats. We, we, right. we were sitting like it's it's at the garden, so like it, you know we're in, it's in the round. Yeah, and like we're behind the stage. So like mm -hmm. we're getting the monitor mix. Right. And so I heard see I heard him say, "Ah, oh, fuck." <laughs> and then and then the drummer screwed up, and he just looked at him. Like, he just kind of shook his head and yeah. smiled. And then later on, they're doing only the good die young, and he's he's not playing piano. He's just up there. You know, doing the '80s right, dance, right. Mm -hmm. and and then he gets he gets a little bit of pepper in his butt and decides he's going to throw the mic stand up in the air and catch it, and he totally misses the catch, and the mic hits the stage, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, like there is there's definitely like a thick margin for error mm -hmm. when you know, like you know, to guys to guys like Billy, you know, like, who aren't so regimented because it's just it, it you know, like it's fun if, if you, you know if you're having fun with it. And you, and if you hit a if you hit a sour note, yeah, screw it, yeah, hit it again. I, I've, I, I've done it, you know. I've I've messed things up and then and then messed it up twice just to make it sound cool. And then and then all of a sudden it becomes part of the song. Yeah, and like you know, like we do um, we do a, we do this um, cover of uh, Stephen Stills' "Love the One You're With," mm -hmm. and the first time we played it out, I, I, I hit a I hit a really weird note. It fit, but it didn't. So I just kept hitting it, and now it's part of the song. Wow. When we do it, we do this like walk down okay. of this like this like fifth on the on this on the C, this like fifth, and then a walk down, just to 
because it, it works. Right. It's not has nothing to do with the with the way Love the One You're With was written. It's like we just kind of like, oh, I fucked this up. I'm gonna fuck it up again. Oh, you know, now I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now were, and now we're doing it. <laughs> you remind me of how David Gilmore explained how with uh, "Shine On You Crazy Diamond." Obviously, uh, from the album "Wish You Were Here." Yeah, love so that, that big album. riff, that da na na na. So he said that he was at- just attempting an A minor chord, and the, the way that he was fingering it, it should have just been an A minor chord with just sort of uh, just alternate strings, whatever. It was. It was an. It was supposed to be an unconventional way to finger the A minor chord, but he was one fret off. He just wasn't paying attention, and when he played that, that's what came about. So, I mean, is that the perfect example? This yeah. song is iconic. Yeah, and that and that down, 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 down. Imagine yourself. You hear that, and you know what song is about to come on. Let's say you've never seen Pink Floyd in concert, which I never have. I've seen Roger Waters in concert, but imagine yourself finally getting to a Pink Floyd show, and you can't wait for what's going to come down. And, you know, they do that whole long intro with the big keyboard pads, and David does sort of like a solo with it. They're just setting the grounds, and as that last G minor is slowly settling in place, all of a sudden, there's that larger-than-life, and the crowd just freaking loses their mind. There's that from the crowd. Like, that all came from somebody fucking up yeah. like an incompetent <laughs> moment like oh i couldn't play an a minor chord right um that's that's the beauty of it we're you know we're humans and, and this is going to open up a whole other discussion we don't have to go down that wormhole but like so much hey man, of music, time. we got plenty so of much music is in the box so much music is about computer programming and everything mm. and you know what i still love the band's I'll just throw one example out there. Counting Crows is a band that just always kept it down to the roots of real guitars mm. and, you know, not perfect production and stuff. And I think that's where the beauty is, is when humanity comes through. Mm. Because, yeah, it's very easy and it's very inexpensive. All this software that's... I, I have a home studio. I have, you know, all kinds of software that will throw you know loops and there's even like virtual instruments where you can press a button yep. and next you know there's a guitar doing like a funk pattern in the your chosen key you press a key on your midi controller and it changes to a different chord so that stuff is there but the best stuff is the stuff that really comes from us i mean that's that's why we spent all those dollars and spent all those hours in our our woodsheds at home because we wanted to make the music we didn't want the computers to do it for us right uh, that's where the beauty is. So, with, so thank God for bands like the Rolling Stones that were just like, yeah, of course it's not perfect. We're humans. Yeah, that's the, that's the best rep. It's, I mean, how many times do we often listen back to a track in the studio? And go, I want to do it again because it wasn't. It could be better. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we need to give ourselves a little bit of liberty to keep let it, our keep humanity yeah. go through. So, and I, it's, I, I was I was listening to an interview with uh, Neil Young a few days ago, and um, he was talking about how because he he's he's currently working on archiving all of his his music and, and making it available and and taking compression out of it mm. because hmm. you know you, you look at like you know when, when we all got our first iPods and you could fit 5000 songs on this little fucking square, white square everything was compressed to make it all fit you know and mp3s and like you know so you're getting like you're getting like 5% of that song in each in every in, in MP3, hmm. which is why I'm a, which is why I listen to pretty much everything on vinyl, 
because that's kind of how it was meant to be heard. <laughs> because like you hear everything, you hear you can hear the hiss pop, you hear the you hear the squeak of a chair, you hear everything in the studio, you hear every little bit, and that's how it's meant to be heard. I want to I want to experience that. Yeah, I, I have a really terrible turntable and stereo system in my house. It's awful. But here's the other thing. I miss the interaction with the entire package. Mm. Now, CDs, I'll say, I still feel like you can still experience pretty much what you did with the album. It's just smaller. It wasn't as compressed. But you still, you know, with yeah. the CD, I felt like the sound was good. And you still, all the, the, the lyrics the and all the notes. Kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I miss that. I mean, I miss the days where people treasured the entire album not just i'm going to download this single because i you know that's yeah, sort of like, like the color I, of the month i heard it 30 times on the radio yeah, it's, I'll, it's, I'll just buy when it there's a, a connection to the artist and this artist spent the last eight months putting this this entire project together i want the whole thing right i, I want every song from start to finish i want the album notes i used to always read i'm sure i'm not the only one didn't we all read like the notes in it because we never yeah. knew what gem was going to come out of i it. always did yeah. i always like it was oh my know. god james taylor sung backup vocals on on this you know fields of uh, not fields of gold uh, heart of gold yeah so it's like those little things that you discover and that's all part of it yeah. and you know the the big album with the art um right. sometimes other, other the sleeve like reading a book about the band's after they'd been around for a while, that was the only way I got my facts about. Right, and bands and, and you look and you look at the like you know it's it's why you know I have a I have a really it's not the biggest it's not a huge vinyl collection but I have like over four hundred vinyl uh, albums, and my favorite part about it is while I'm listening to an album, just opening up the the the, the cover and reading lyrics yeah. and the then the and the inside jokes that they put in the special thanks area mm -hmm. or the or you know the dirty like a dirty limerick written in there somewhere <laughs> like there's you know there's all these there's all these little nuance to, to to the art of it and and you don't get that anymore because there's no liner notes you just it's just everything's just on on the interwebs and you just pay a dollar for that track and Forget about it. You know, people are more willing to spend. They'll put, they'll spend seven dollars on a cup of coffee. They won't spend ten bucks on an album that will last forever. Well, They'd aside just have from it the pop on their world, unfortunately, I'm not as connected as I would like to be to like like the indie world of music. But I'm sure there's lots of great bands out there that are doing the kind of stuff that we're talking about. So, are there? If you guys know, are there bands? That are still doing things the old way, like they're still recording analog. Well, they're still putting out vinyl. Jack White. Um, has, he started Third Man Records, I guess, what, like 13 years ago, 14 years ago? He started He started up Third Man Records, and they still, like, they press to vinyl. Mm -hmm. And liner notes, it's it's doing it the old-fashioned the old fashioned way. It takes a little longer, but they but it works. Yeah, and, um, yeah a lot of bands do it. The, the vinyl is actually, like, a... That's, that's, like, the one physical medium that people will still buy. Yeah, <laughs> it's... Just because it, it's cool. This is, like, the second year in a row that vinyl has outsold CDs. Yeah. Damn. Because no one buys CDs anymore, and uh, no, it's funny. Um, my stepmother's cousin has a has a, a, a record label out in San Francisco called Father Daughter Records, and they press the vinyl, and they they have got like all these left coast indie indie acts doing stuff mm -hmm. in their studio and putting it right to vinyl. And it's just like, you know, it's still, it, it is still a thing. Yeah, it was and actually it's becoming kind of more, like, it's becoming more prevalent now because, because there are, there's been this influx of hip, of hipster kids who are like, who, who, who get what I, what I've been saying for years of it just sounds better analog than it will ever sound digital. Even CD. Yeah. 
See, I've never understood that because I guess I just really haven't experienced it. I'm going to get you a record I player. I was excited about CDs because I hated... First of all, I liked being able to go right to the beginning of whatever track I wanted. Right. Oh, no, maybe like, that was the beginning no, of the end, like, though. No, <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, the thing that I love maybe was the well, road. CDs are great to... because having a record player in your car will never work. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you hit a, as soon as you hit a pothole, forget. Right. <laughs> but, but, now, but what about? But what about all those pops and crackles? See, I I love that. You get the hiss, like. I, I love like it, it just it feels real, right. you know. And, and what, what and I just, heard, and, and a lot of it, it's it's me saying, "Oh, I gotta I gotta lift the needle and go." Right. Well, people have said <laughs> that if you really take care of your albums, yep. Then obviously it's it's not the kind of like crackle like when your parents had an album, it was always like stuck. It was a bunch of records that weren't in their sleeves. When my parents had a bunch of 45s, there was a stack of 45s not in the sleeves. Oh, yeah. So they were just... And, so and, it, it, just, like, and it just takes one humid day to ruin every one of them. <laughs> so, that, so that's what I equate with vinyl. But obviously, right. yeah, you could take much better care of your yeah, records well, just, so they don't you know, sound leave, like that. You know, leave them in the sleeves and, you know, just keep them, keep them upright. My parents, if you lay them flat, they're just going to get warped. You know, like that's the reason I have three copies of Zeppelin Four mm. is because the first two copies got left flat mm. on top of a record player and just kind of had a little bit of a bend to them. Now, okay, and you throw it on the record player and you just watch the needle. yeah the needles like you watch the needles like just waves of the ocean yeah exactly it's like, it's like watching it's like watching a kid boogie boarding <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah no there there really is like the I vinyl I, th I think um, dat tapes. Which was a thing in the in the in the late nineties. I, I feel like that was kind of the, like the pinnacle of the like the the meeting of digital and analog, mm -hmm. and it, it that was the best it was going to sound. Okay, but it was also not a thing that you're going to just like throw into your your car stereo because you had you know DAT tapes were different you know different than a regular yeah. You know, so Max I had L. an ADAT player, and I mean in the you you know me a lot of times I'll use backing tracks for my yep. live performances. Um, I I have the home studio. I like to make the tracks. I like to customize them to however, whatever. So anyway, there, before the ADAT thing, so I had a Korg keyboard with a floppy disk drive. So the flop, so you would sequence, which means you would essentially program whatever instruments, and then you would play it back. But what you would have to do is you have to load each song. So literally, I'd be talking to the audience. This is sort of like the church world. Um, it's corny as hell, but this this was what was happening. People always <laughs> sang to backing tracks, and so it was the world that I was in. So, but I used to have my keyboard on stage with me, have my guitar hanging on me. I'd be talking to the audience because obviously you want to keep them engaged. So you'd be telling them maybe about the next song mm -hmm. while you're putting a new disc into your keyboard and hitting all these buttons to load it and to, to go down to the next track. So you're you're and killing time. It's so bad. You're, you're killing time to make to make things like, right. You know. Fast forward a couple of years, and then I got an ADAP machine, and that was now the thing that was going to run the backing track. So I would make the backing tracks with my home studio, but then I would bounce them onto this. ADAT, and at least that had the capability of like running to the end of song and stopping by itself, so you didn't have to stop it. Mm. And then you could, with a remote control, you could start it. But I, I don't remember much. I, I'm, I think I had it for a couple of years. After that, people were burning their own CDs from their home computers. Mm. So that was the next step: is that I was making CDs of my backing tracks, giving it to the sound man. And now it was up to him and I to kind of keep eye contact, so I would tell him, mm. trigger the next song. Like I said, just corny is all hell, but that's just how I did it back in those days.
Yeah, if it works. That's I good. just had a conversation with Angela. Angela's here in the other room. I was saying how Hi, I I have a little bit of a struggle in me because I I started using soundtracks again in my live performances as I perform around here in New Jersey because I wasn't satisfied with the one man one guitar type of sound and I wanted to do more. I wanted to do stuff that maybe got the people moving and and I need it and I just there wasn't the budget for other musicians. I would be I would love to hire other musicians to play with me, but the places in New Jersey aren't really paying that yet. So anyway. Yeah, well it's that's we, we talked about this in one of the last podcasts of just like the money, like, you know, the cost of liquor went up, the cost of beer went up, food, gas, everything, the price of everything went up. But when it comes to paying musicians, we're still stuck in 1979. Yeah. Because my dad was making 100 bucks, 150 bucks a night playing in these bands. And that's what we're making now. Mm-hmm. All these years later. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started I, doing... I, put, I put my band out and it's, you know, the most we're going to get, you know, at some of the bigger spots if we're doing, or if we're doing a private party. Mm-hmm. Then I can, you know, private parties have always been like bread and butter because then I can say, I can just say, you know, we're, it's 250 bucks a man right, for, right. For, for, for a four hour show. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, oh, can you just bring two guys? <laughs> no, no. You want the full band because I got to pay them all. It's yep. just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, we're getting to the end of part one here. But yeah, what's the what's this uh, song we're gonna hear uh, at the end of this uh, show episode here, buddy? Um, is, um, is this on piano? It is on piano. Cool. It's a song called "Take My Hand." Um, Where should I, I take it? Well, <laughs> don't hold it for too long. It might make me uncomfortable. Yeah, um, I wrote this song when uh, you know I was going through personal struggles, and um, fortunately, I, I had friends that were you know relatively supportive. And I, sometimes I had friends that were always the strong person. They always put on the face that they were uh, always had it together. Mm. And it's an interesting thing. You know, we were all just talking about humanity just a couple of minutes ago. And uh, one of my friends who always seemed to kind of always uh, be positive and always have their stuff together, uh, one day showed sort of like we're having a bad day. And it showed. You know, I think for once... They kind of had maybe like a day of weakness. And that was helpful to me. Because, you know, when sometimes people seem superhuman, I don't know, I guess you can't understand it. But right. it was kind of good that somebody that you always, always has to be the strong one, yeah, they're just as human as you. And it, it was like, a, it's a good way to connect with people. So anyway, I ended up writing a song that was inadvertently about um, a father and daughter who maybe the father's the strong one, the daughter's the weak one. Daughter's kind of dealing with a drug problem. Father's dealing with a wife that had died of cancer, but he's always, you know, kind of trudging on and just kind of keeping it together. But they they kind of lose touch for a little while and then come back together. Um, there is a drug overdose situation. I ended up making a video. I hired a, um, speaking of this song, Take My Hand, I hired a sketch artist, someone that does... Um, uh, what do you call a storyboard? I hired a storyboard artist to illustrate a bunch of cells that would tell this story, and then I just used iMovie to sort of piece them together. So that mm-hmm. way, when you listen to the song, when you go on YouTube, um, and you can just Google like, um, or you can go on YouTube and do a search for George Orlando, "Take My Hand," and this video's up there, and it's really it's it's all these storyboard cells back to back to illustrate the story. So, like I said, so on the surface, it's this father and daughter kind of falling apart, and then they come together at the end. Underneath it all, it's really just about people that need each other. So that's the song I'm going to do later. Right on. All right. Well, kids, 
Let's take a listen to George Orlando and this song, Take My Hand. And like he just said, you could find it on YouTube. Do we bear each other's burdens 
kids well you just heard take my hand by my friend and yours mr george orlando great song buddy thank Thank you so much for coming down stay tuned kids we'll have part two coming up on thursday and uh don't forget kids you can check out this show now on itunes and on the spotify's and on the google play and as always this show is brought to us by our good friends at the original music school of morristown so you can go to originalmusicschool.com or call 973-998-8977 and talk to Dylan and tell him, tell him you said hello and ask him what he's wearing. I'm wearing a purple floral uh, button-up shirt with a sweater. Mm. I visited my old boss today, and she told me I looked way too professional. <laughs> but she was right. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a substitute uh, dance I, teacher. I love, I love her. Shout out to Mary Ellen. <laughs> Hi, Mary Ellen. All right, kids. George, you good? I'm good. Dill, you good? I'm good. I didn't know kids were going to be listening to this show. I would have cleaned it up a little bit. Ah, forget about it. (laughs) They'll learn eventually, right? Mm. All right, kids. We'll We'll see you Thursday for part two.